Why, hello there. Welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, uh, Impact Wrestling. Also, before this episode is over with, I will be giving you guys my SummerSlam predictions, because SummerSlam is tonight. So, to start the show, we'll start with Monday Night Raw. Raw opened up with Logan Paul. Logan Paul will call Ricochet to the ring because Logan would say that last week he was blindsided by Ricochet when all he was trying to do was make Ricochet go viral and showcase this incredible athlete. So now you have Logan playing the victim even though he attacked Ricochet last week and Ricochet basically retorted and uh, laid Logan out after Logan hit Ricochet first. So Ricochet will come out and say that Logan isn't fooling anyone Ricochet would tell Logan that he is right at SummerSlam. They are going to have a blockbuster viral match. Ricochet would give Logan praise for being a great athlete, even though he is a horrible human being. Logan would retort and say that he appreciates the words from Ricochet and calls Ricochet one of the best that's ever done this until he got here. Logan would extend his fist out to Ricochet. Ricochet would bump it begrudgingly. Uh, Logan would mess with Ricochet at this moment and say that he hopes Ricochet won't be mad when his fiance, who's the ring announcer for WWE on Raw, uh, announces him as the winner at SummerSlam. Now, Ricochet would double leg take down Logan at this point, and now you got both men uh, going at it. Ricochet would get the better of Logan until he goes for a springboard, but Logan Paul would catch Ricochet with a knockout punch out of the sky and lay out Ricochet. So, we have our match made official. People can't wait to see it. We all know what we're going to get out of Ricochet and Logan Paul. Uh, Logan Paul, even though he hasn't had a lot of in-ring time, at least on television, he's always like done things in the ring, like on pay-per-views, premium live events, whatever you want to call it. He is uh, he's good. I stand with Ricochet completely. I've been saying this every time Logan Paul's been getting in the ring. I don't like that dude as a human being. However, his in-ring capabilities, it's you can't you can't not hate on that. You can't. If you you're just a hater, and that's something that I can't stand for on that one. So Ricochet, he's gonna make Logan Paul look like a million bucks. Logan Paul is going to uh I feel that he's going to help out Ricochet become viral, and hopefully that will give Ricochet the rocket that he needs to become a bigger star on the WWE platform, but hopefully we'll see by that. But um, great segment to open up on the Raw. Next up will be Ludwig Kaiser with Imperium in his corner going against Matt Riddle. Ludwig Kaiser would win the match uh, by hitting a DDT on Matt Riddle. Now, in this match, there was a point where it looked like Kaiser got knocked out by Riddle, or at least Riddle did ring Kaiser's bell because he would hit him, and Kaiser just... Looked like he was just seeing stars. Even Corey Graves would point it out on commentary. But Kaiser was still able to finish the match out with Riddle. Solid match opening up Monday Night Raw. Now the next matchup was Maxine Dupree with Alpha Academy in her corner. Going against Valhalla who had the Viking Raiders in her corner. Maxine would win the match by pinfall using a shoulder bridging suplex to win the match. Uh, towards the end we had chicanery. From the Viking Raiders, they tried to interfere when Maxine would hit Valhalla with a crossbody off the top rope. Uh, Alpha Academy would get involved. 
Gable with a moonsault onto the Viking Raiders outside of the ring. And that's it. Solid match. Well, not really solid. Maxine, she's still new. She still has to get used. She still has to get used to the ring and move around more fluidly. And I think with her more time in the ring, it'll be fine. But I see Maxine more as a uh, manager, if I'm going to be completely honest. Her being in the ring once in a while, cool if I whatever, but have her stick to managing. That's at least what I would think they should do. But what they do and what they should do is two completely different things. Now, we would go backstage. You would see uh, Alpha Academy just be so happy that Maxine got her first win, singles win, on TV. And then you would see Imperium walk up to Alpha Academy. Gunther and Kaiser are just getting at Gable, saying that he was once a technician-style wrestler, but look what he's become now, a joke. And Kaiser would throw out the challenge, saying that Gable couldn't even last five minutes in the ring with Gunther. So that match would be made official uh, later in the night. Gunther will be going against Gable in a five-minute challenge. And I forgot to mention this when I talked about uh, Kaiser going against Riddle. After the match, you saw Gunther get in the ring, shake hands with Kaiser because this was Kaiser's match to redeem himself from losing against Drew McIntyre last week. And in the camera shot, it looks like they're trying to really make it seem that they're really trying to cut Giovanni Vinci out of Imperium. Because in that shot, you just saw Kaiser and Gunther in the ring, but you know that Giovanni Vinci is there because he was at ringside. And he even interfered at one point during the match. And then when we go backstage and you see Imperium talking with Alpha Academy, you know Giovanni Vinci is literally standing beside Gunther, but... The camera angle only has literally Alpha Academy, Maxine Dupree, Gunther, and Ludwig Kaiser. So I don't know what the deal is. I don't know whose idea is it is to try to like cut Giovanni Vinci out of these uh, camera shots, or they're trying to tell us something uh, subliminally. Like you guys should be catching on that we're trying to cut Giovanni out of Imperium. He's kind of like the guy that we're gonna be. Uh, making him be the fall guy next. I think that's what they're trying to do. If they're not, I don't know who's producing those shots, but more time will tell in the following weeks uh, to come. Now, next matchup, Tommaso Ciampa going against Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura will win the match by pinfall using a roll-up and holding on to Ciampa's trunks. This was Nakamura's way of getting payback on Ciampa for Ciampa interfering with Nakamura's business with Bronson Reed. And Bronson Reed would be watching the monitor backstage. Uh, I like that we're getting like evil Nakamura. Like Nakamura that doesn't care about the rules like that. He wants to win by any means necessary because Nakamura has been eating a lot of losses. And I hope this gives Nakamura something. I hope this puts uh, Nakamura in position to be at least bigger like towards the end of the year or if not towards the end of the year, by the beginning of next year, we start seeing bigger things out of Nakamura, but time will tell with that. Now, next up, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar will come to the ring. Brock Lesnar would stand in the middle of the ring, list his accolades, and say that this is fight week. All the hype is over, and Brock would tell Cody to come down to the ring, shake his hand, and he will earn Brock's respect. So Brock will start counting Cody down. Cody will come out to the ring. 
Brock would extend his hand out. Cody would shake Brock's hand. You would see Cody and Brock say something to each other. And then as Brock is trying to walk away, Cody would shoulder bump Brock. Now, Brock not being outdone, Brock would shoulder bump Cody out of his way and Brock will leave the ring. Cody will look at Brock and he will hit him with a suicide dive and Brock would then get up, grab Cody, throw him into the steel step ring post area and Brock is just dominating now. Brock will get the steps. He will hit Cody three times in the shoulders with it. Uh, He will grab Cody up, throw him in the ring, hit him with an F5 and after he's done beating up on Cody, Brock would get himself together. He would look at Cody and he would give a head nod. And that's the end of this. And again, we still have no legitimate reason why any of this stuff is going on. Why did Brock Lesnar attack Cody in April? He has never said any reason. He never gave any like explanation, no nothing. So hopefully SummerSlam after everything is done, this will be the end of it. But Time will tell, right? Now, next up, five-minute challenge. Gunther going against Chad Gable. Chad Gable would win the match. Well, he will win the five-minute challenge. However, with Gunther being a sore loser, he will say that the match isn't over and he wants the match to continue, which it would. And Gunther would win the match by pinfall using a powerbomb. And after the match, Gunther would get on the commentary table and announced that he will stop Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam and still be the Intercontinental Champion. I like that they gave Chad Gable uh, this time to, again, showcase what he can do in the ring, showcase that he can be a player that WWE can use when it's time for him to be used, because he's been in WWE for, what, at least on the main roster for seven years now? And it's been stop and go with him. Hopefully, they'll continue to give that momentum and keep it pushing with Chad Gable. But time will tell with that. And I'm just glad that he got this match with Gunther and everybody got to see what he can do. Or at least see the tip of the iceberg of what Chad Gable can do when you actually put him in something that's actually worthwhile. Now, next up, Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch will come to the ring. She's out in gear. And Becky will call out Trish Stratus for her rematch since she earned it beating Zoe Starks last week. Now, you will get Trish Stratus and Zoe coming out on the stage. Trish would tell Becky that Becky doesn't say when Trish wrestles. Only Trish does. Trish does ensure Becky that she will get her rematch, and this would lead to Adam Pearce coming out. Pearce would tell Trish that she will have her match with Becky Lynch right now. So, the match happens, and as soon as it begins is as soon as it ends, because Becky would quickly run over to Trish, start hitting her with a couple punches. Zoe Starks will quickly run in, start attacking Becky. Referee calls for the bell. Ding, ding, ding. Becky Lynch wins by disqualification. Now, after the match, you would see Zoe Starks and Becky going at it with each other. Uh, Trish would try to interfere, but Becky would just take Trish out and just do what she has to do with that. Uh, Becky would smash Trish's head on the commentary table, knock her into the timekeeper area, Becky would throw Zoe into the ring post before trying to go back at Trish, but Trish would hit Becky in the mix session with a steel chair. Then you would see a backstage official come out, tell Zoe and Trish that they're done, go to the back, 
and once they are in the back, they're met by Adam Pierce. Pierce will tell Trish that she thinks she's clever, but in two weeks, on Monday Night Raw, Becky will be facing Trish, and Zoe will be banned from ringside. So Trish versus Becky isn't going to happen at SummerSlam, which we all thought it was going to be at. It's going to happen on Monday Night Raw in two weeks. That's kind of weird, but okay, they, they're going to uh, Toronto. They got to increase audience attendance or at least give the audience something to feel good about. And seeing Trish there uh, wrestling against Becky Lynch, someone that's cheerable. It's going to be a nice, good match for not just the Toronto crowd, but also for Becky and Trish to have that match. And it might even be the main event of Monday Night Raw. Maybe. Now we're off to the main event. Tag team match. Sami Zayn and Seth Rollins going against Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio with Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley in their corner. Sami Zayn and Seth Rollins would win the match by pinfall when Seth would hit Damian Priest with a curb stomp for the win. Um, there was a moment here where Damian Priest looked like he was going to cash in because Damian Priest would hit Seth Rollins with the razor's edge. He would see his money in the bank briefcase on the commentary table. Finn would quickly grab it. Finn would look at it. Priest would call for Finn to give him the briefcase. Finn would get on the apron and Finn again would look at the briefcase before he would throw it over to Priest so Priest could actually use it. Priest looks like he's going to hand over the briefcase to the ref. But Seth was super kick Priest. Then you see uh, Sami Zayn get in the ring and Sami would Huluva kick Finn Balor off the apron. This will lead to Seth hitting Priest with the curb stomp. One, two, three. That's how Sami Zayn and Seth Rollins would win their tag match. So this adds more fuel into the Judgment Day breakup. Are they going to? Or are they not? And this gives Seth momentum as he's moving into uh, his match with Finn Balor at SummerSlam. Now, with all that said, that was your Monday Night Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to NXT. This is the NXT after the Great American Bash. And they will start NXT by showcasing exactly what happened at the Great American Bash if you happen to miss it. So you got to see uh, just some highlights from the Bash. Then we will open up with Tony D'Angelo and Stags driving into the parking lot. They get beat up by Gallus. Uh, Gallus will say that now and forever, Gallus boys are still on top, which will lead into the main event later in the night, a six-man tag. Gallus going against the NXT Tag Team Champions, Tony D'Angelo and Stax, with a mystery partner. Now, the first match of the night would be JC Jane going against Lyra Valkyria. Lyra would win the match by pinfall using a heel kick and a spotty splash for the win. Next thing, we will move backstage. You will see Carmelo Hayes talking to Trick. Backstage, uh, Trick and Melo are talking about Melo retaining his NXT championship from Ilya Dragunov at the Great American Bash. And it would lead to Trick Williams telling Carmelo, listen, I respect you. It's always going to be Trick and Melo gang, but I need to do this for myself. Melo would say, yeah, I know. You're always going to be my guy. I'm not calling you a sidekick. You're, you're, you're your own man. And Trick would say, no, dog. Listen, the people treat me like a sidekick. People see me as your sidekick, and I'm not. And Melo again will say, listen, I know that. He says, I know you know, but I need to make them know. You beat Ilya Dragunov, and I still got beef with him, so I got to call out the dragon. So you can expect Ilya Dragunov and Trick Williams to continue their situation while Melo's just 
going to have to be by himself. Now, later in the night, you would see Melo still be backstage in the locker room, and Wesley would pop in. Wesley's pissed because he's not the NXT North American champion, and he just runs a fit for a minute. Melo would tell him to calm him down. Wes would say, listen, dog, I've been losing for the past two weeks, and I feel like I'm on a downward slope while you, you're on the uprising, and you don't know what it feels like. Melo would say, man, I busted my hump to win this NXT championship. You don't know what it feels like to hold up this freaking building. You don't know what it's like to hold up this uh, this promotion, basically. And he says, man, now I understand why Braun Breaker snapped. So now you get this back and forth between Wes and Melo. And then Noam Dar and Oromensa will come in. They'll talk a little smack to Wes and Carmelo. And this will set up for a tag team match later in the night between Oromensa and Noam Dar going against Wesley and Carmelo Hayes. Now, we would go to in the ring. Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley would be in the ring. Dominic and Rhea would talk about Dom retaining the NXT North American Championship at the Great American Bash. Rhea would say that Dom is more of a man than Wesley and Mustafa Ali. Dom would say that he is the greatest luchador of all time, which would send out Dragon Lee to the ring. And Dragon would say that he is tired of hearing Dominic talking about being the greatest luchador it's not him, it's Rey Mysterio, your dad. Dom will say that he made the Mysterio name worth something, and Dragon will say that that's not the truth. The only reason why you're still champion is because of Rhea Ripley. She's holding your nuts in her purse. Dragon Lee will then challenge Dominic Mysterio to a match next week for the NXT North American Championship, and Dominic would accept. Rhea would tell Dragon that anywhere Dom goes, I'm going, so I'm going to be in Dominic's corner next week. Dragon will say, you know what, that's fine, because I'm not going to be alone next week. And you will see on the screen, Rey Mysterio would pop on the screen, and Ray will say that he's going to be in Dragon Lee's corner next week, and it's being made official. Next week, North American Championship, Dragon Lee with Rey Mysterio in his corner, going against Dominic Mysterio, who has Rhea Ripley in his corner. Now, next matchup, we have Jack going against Eddie Thorpe, Dijak would win the match by pinfall, hitting a cyclone kick for the win. Solid match between Eddie Thorpe and Dijak. Uh, this whole thing between the two is to prove who is the baddest or toughest guy, quote-unquote, in the NXT locker room. So Dijak beating Eddie, it just puts a feather more into Dijak's cap. And it also gives Eddie Thorpe and Dijak screen time on NXT. Now the next matchup was a tag team match. Alyssa Leon and Valentina Forez going against Electra Lopez and Lola Vice. Electra and Lola would win the match by pitfall when Lola would execute a roundhouse kick on Leon for the win. So that was Lola Vice's debut match on NXT. Solid work. Hopefully we see her in a one-on-one stylistic uh, matchup. I know she's been wrestling on NXT's uh, level up. I just haven't been watching Level Up. I see like highlights of her, and she's been doing well. But I would like to see a whole full match of hers on NXT television. So hopefully that's the next step up. Now next matchup, another tag team match is Oro Mensa and Noam Dar with Jakari Jackson and Lash Legend in their corner going against Wesley and NXT World Champion Carmelo Hayes. Oro and Noam Dar would win the match by pinfall after Wes would accidentally hit Carmelo Hayes in the head with the cardiac kick 
and this allowed Oro to hit West with a sidekick, and then Noam Dar would finish West off with a running Insiguri for the win. Now, after the match, Wesley would get in Carmelo's face and become aggressive because Wes is on a downward slide. He's on a downward losing streak. This is his third loss in three weeks now. Wes would become aggressive. Melo would try to calm Wes down, say, hey, man, ain't that serious. I got other things to be doing. I got other uh, things to worry about. And he would try to walk away, but then Wes would pull Melo back. Melo would say, listen, again, it's not that serious. I got other things to do. And he would just leave the ring. So you can tell there's going to be some friction between Wes and Melo. And personally, I can't wait to see this more because Wesley, he's always been the chill guy. The only time he hasn't been chill was when uh, his boy, um, <laughs> Zachary Wentz, left or got fired from NXT. And we got those uh, vignettes or videos of Wes talking about how he was down and out and he was pissed and he's tired of feeling sorrow and misery. And when he came back on NXT, he had that little bit of a attitude with him until he went back to finding his happy place and being happy again. Now we're going to see a more attitude side of Wes, and I can't wait to see it personally. Now, next matchup, Baron Corbin going against Andre Chase with Duke Hudson, Anthea Hill in Andre's corner. Baron would win the match by pinfall, hitting the end of days for the win. Now, one interesting note here is that Baron had Andre Chase locked in a single leg Boston Crab. And now, Thea Hale would see this, and she would see this as retaliation to throw in the towel for Andre Chase the same way that Andre did for her at Great American Bash. But unlike Andre Chase's one when he did it for Thea Hale because he was worried about Thea's actual uh, body, she did this just out of pure spite. But the referee doesn't see the towel being thrown in. Baron Corbin would catch a towel. He would let go of the hold and throw it back at Thea Hale. Thea would be pissed because she's still pissed because she didn't quit in that submission match. And you would just see her walk to the back. So there is some friction in Duke University with Andre Chase and Thea Hale. Duke Hudson is more likely going to have to play the middleman. And it's going to be interesting. I thought it was going to be Duke and Andre being the two guys going at it because Duke believed in Thea when Andre was gone. He allowed her to train with uh, Charlie Dempsey and Drew Gulak. But no, it was Thea Hill being upset and Andre Chase and Duke Hudson's going to have to be the guy to try to put these two back together. So that's going to be an interesting story. I would like to see the twists and turns that they're going with this. And they did not mention Gable Stevenson going against Baron Corbin. At least the commentary team didn't. They just kind of flew by that. So I don't know what's going on. It just could have been like, okay, they just want to just let that go until like next week. But we'll have to wait and see on NXT next week, at least for that. Um, next up, the Schism. The Schism will be in the ring and they will have people standing on a podium wearing yellow masks. These are supposed to be the quote unquote recruits of the Schism. And Joe will talk about how there's a hole in this recruiting Schism class. Thanks to new recruits putting their hands on the Schism last week. And they're looking basically for the creeds hiding behind the mask because they feel that it was the creeds that did it. So the schism will have the recruits step off the podiums, unmask themselves one by one, 
and one by one is unknown guy after unknown guy, and then one person would be Ikamanjuro, and he's just taking this as a joke, and he would get shushed and kicked out of the ring. And now it's down to the last two guys, and the dyad would just attack those two guys, thinking they're the Creeds, unmask them, and it's not. Now, the Creeds would appear on the screen, and they would taunt the schism. And they would say, listen, we are not in Orlando, and they will always put air quotes, we're not in Orlando. We were not there last week, we're in, we were in a hotel, but the surround sounds made it sound like we were there. And they would just say, hey man, we've been on vacation, we've been to this place, and this place, and this place. They will list off these places, which we all know they haven't been there. The Creeds are just playing mind games with the schism. Joe would tell the nation of the schism to look out for the Creeds, and when you find them, bring the creeds to the schism. So we're going to be playing a game of where is the Creed brothers in Florida. I believe that's the video packages or videos that they should be doing with different members of schism trying to find the creeds. I think that'll be entertaining because remember it is WWE. It is NXT developmental system. Uh, you get a variety of things down there. So I would enjoy them if they do that. But if they don't, I'll be like, oh man, they wasted the opportunity. But We'll have to wait and see more with that. Then we move over to the main event. Gallus going against Tony D'Angelo, Stax, and their mystery partner. And their mystery partner would be Santos Escobar. The same Santos Escobar that had a problem with Tony D'Angelo last year throughout that whole entire summer. The same Santos Escobar that Tony D'Angelo beat to kick Santos out of NXT. That exact same guy. So to see Santos teaming up with Tony and it seemed like bygones are bygones, it was a nice like throwback moment for the fans. And the fans love to see Santos back here. They were happy to see him and it looked like Santos was happy to see the crowd as well. Now, Tony, Stax, and Santos would win the match by pinfall when Tony and Stax would hit the double flapjack on Mark Coffey after Santos would hit a super uh, hurricanrana off the top turnbuckle. Again. Solid six-man tag match, but Santos was here, and Tony and Stax won the match. That's all that really mattered. Now, after the match, what happened, we would go to see a video of Ilya looking at the ending of the Great American Bash, his match, where he whipped hit, uh, Mello with a torpedo headbutt while Mello was standing next to Trick, who was on the NXT Championship, and you see Mello duck, and Ilya hits the NXT Championship, and you just see him constantly watching this, and Ilya is just standing there, and he talks about how Trick said that he's not done with Ilya, and Ilya says, well, I'm glad you said you're not done, because next week, I'm not going to be done with you, and you will feel my wrath, you will feel my brutality, if you will. So, we're going to get a fight between Ilya Dragunov and Trick Williams next week on NXT, and that's how NXT will end off. So I found that NXT this week had a whole lot of major discourse. Is Thea Hill going to be with Andre Chase University? Is the schism going to find the creeds, which they will? Uh, the saga between now Trick Williams, Mello, and Ilya Dragunov. Trick doing his own thing. Mello now has to do his own thing for the time being. And Ilya wanted to get a piece of Trick. I mean, NXT had a as it is, a variety of shows, and it was a good show. So, if you have time, go and watch NXT. 
Now, with that being said, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we go over to AEW Dynamite. However, before I talk about AEW Dynamite, I have to talk about AEW Collision. At least three important things that happened on this past week's episode of Collision. The first was an excellent ladder match between Buddy Matthews and Andrade El Idolo to start Collision off. You had both of these guys just basically putting their body on the line. And at one point, Buddy Matthews actually had to pop his shoulder back into place to continue the match. I enjoyed seeing the toughness of Buddy uh, do that. And I thoroughly appreciate it as a just a viewer. And seeing Buddy continue uh, that ladder match with Andrade, especially Buddy just taking a lot of brutality. I mean, he ate a sunset, a sunset uh, powerbomb off of a ladder onto another ladder. And he and Julia Hart went through a table. So Buddy Matthews, he went all out with Andrade. Congratulations to both of those guys for an excellent ladder match. Second thing to note, AEW has another world champion. CM Punk would bring out uh, the red velvet uh, bag and unveil what's inside the bag, which is the world championship. He would spray his famous X on the belt and by proxy... When he sprays the big X on it, he's covering up the E. So people think that's him taking a subtle dig at the elite. I just think that's just a coincidence, but they could feel that into a storyline with Punk and the elite if they want to do that into the future. Uh, Ricky Starks, he will come out to the ring and he would tell Punk that he feels that that championship belongs to him because he has beaten Punk on two occasions. So we would get a match for Punk going against Ricky Starks with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat as special guest referee for the Real World Championship, and that's going to happen on Collision tonight. Um, The last thing to note, FTR would defend their AEW World Tag Team Championships against Adam Cole and MJF. FTR would win the match when they were going to hit the Shattered Machine on Adam Cole, but MJF would push Adam Cole out of the way, and it looks like MJF is going to get eat the uh, Shatter Machine, but MGF would counter it. He looks to hit the Heat Seeker on Cash, but Dax would roll up MGF to win the match. Great tag team matchup between FTR and Adam Cole and MGF, and also an excellent uh, moment after the match where MGF is upset because he lost the match for his team, and it looks like for a minute Adam Cole is uh, helping MGF up to his feet, calling him a great world champion, and having the people cheer and celebrate for MJF and as Adam Cole's in the corner MJF looking at Adam and he's contemplating whether he's going to hit Adam with the world championship or not Adam Cole senses it and he just puts his arm out and say if you're going to do it do it MJF doesn't he throws the belt down Adam Cole will turn around and look at MJF and he would just walk up and hug MJF so it seems that those two are still buddies and they're still friends and let's see how that continues into Dynamite, and now I'm going into Dynamite. This is their 200th episode, and what better way to start off the 200th episode with a tag team match? Chris Jericho and Konosuke Takeshita with Don Callis in their corner going against Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. Chris Jericho and Takeshita would win the match by pinfall thanks to Don Callis interfering when Daniel Garcia had Chris Jericho locked in a sharpshooter, and the referee was distracted by Sammy Guevara stopping Takeshita from entering the ring, that he would miss Don Callis hitting Daniel Garcia in the head with Jericho's baseball bat. Now, Jericho would see this. He would look at Don 
and he would question Don's actions, and Don would tell Chris to cover Daniel, and Jericho would do so. So Jericho and Takeshita would win the match. Um, after this, we would go backstage. Jericho is backstage with Renee Paquette. Renee would ask Chris about Don's actions, but before Chris could even say anything, Matt Menard would walk up to Chris Jericho and say, we're going to have a Jericho appreciation meeting next week. And attendance is mandatory, so we're going to get the future fate of Chris Jericho. Is he going to be with Don Callis and Takeshita, or is he going to be with Jericho Appreciation Society? Or even if there is going to be a Jericho Appreciation Society next week, we're going to have to wait and see about that. Um, Solid tag match here. I do like how they played highlight clips of Chris Jericho's career in AEW, the last 200 episodes, um, when Chris Jericho was making his way to the ring. Same thing with uh, Sammy Guevara, they played him and Daniel Garcia's history as a tag team, and he also talked about how Daniel, not Daniel, uh, Sammy Guevara was on the first episode of Dynamite, and he was in the first match. They never said who he went against, which I find is stupid. They should have said he went against Cody Rhodes, because Cody still is a founding father of AEW. You can't just try to, like, sweep him underneath the rug. I mean, sometimes they'll mention Cody, like, here and there, but that's a significant part of AEW's history. Sammy Guevara was in the first match of AEW Dynamite, and it was against Cody Rhodes. So they should have gave Cody that, at least in my opinion, but whatever. Um, solid tag match. Next up, Jack Perry. Jack Perry would come to the ring, hold an FTW championship. He would call Jerry Lynn out to the ring, saying he gave Jerry one week. Jerry would come out on the stage, and he would say that he has screws in his neck, and there was not a doctor that would medically clear him. But he has someone from ECW that can take care of this problem. And out will walk RVD. RVD will have his old ECW theme. And everybody was just happy to see RVD. RVD would come to the ring and get in Jack's face. Uh, Jack would look at RVD and he would then leave the ring. Now you have RVD and Jerry Lynn talking in the ring and... Jack Perry would come back in the ring with a chair, swing it at RVD. RVD would duck it and try to hit the Van Daminator on Jack. But Jack would duck and leave the ring. And that's the end of this segment. Later in the night, RVD would be backstage with Renee Paquette. And RVD would challenge Jack Perry to a match for the FTW Championship next week. And that match would get made official. So RVD versus Jack Perry for the FTW Championship. I feel that Jack Perry is going to win it. That's obvious. And I think this is setting up for Hook to probably come down there to probably try to lock in Red Rum on Jack Perry at least before Jack at least tries to uh, run away from Hook and that can set up their match at All In. But we'll have to wait and see about that. But more than likely, Jack Perry is winning the match against RVD next week. But I think they're going to have a good, solid match. And it also gives uh, Jack Perry more... Um, It gives him more time to be in, a, in the ring with another seasoned vet and especially with Jack Perry being a bad guy now I think this will be the perfect opportunity for people to really boo him the way that Jack Perry needs to be booed to take his uh, character to a different level even though he just turned as a bad guy and Jack Perry has it in him to be a guy that people just hates I think him beating up RVD and probably being a complete douche by doing it you're increasing his stock as a uh, bad guy. So I can't wait to see that match next week.
Now, we go on to a triple threat anything goes match between Trent Beretta, Penta, John Moxley. Same thing that they did with Jericho as each of these men would walk down to the ring. They played their highlights of them on Dynamite for the past 200 episodes. Again, I like those nice touches here. Trent would win the match by pinfall by pinning Penta after Mox hit Penta with the paradigm shift. And then you see Trent hit Mox with the running knee. And then Trent will cover Penta for the win. After the match, Claudio and Wheeler Yuta would uh, walk to the ring and they will be stopped by Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. Now you have all four of these men start fighting in the crowd. Uh, Claudio and Yuta will get the better of Chuck and Orange. They will throw them over the barricade into the ringside area. Mox will come out there to help out his Blackpool Combat Club members and start beating up on Chuck and Orange. Tremperetta would jump off the top turnbuckle onto the pack of guys out there. And the action will move to inside of the ring. And the best friends would get the better of Blackpool Combat Club. And this would make the Blackpool Comic Club retreat up the ramp. Chuck Taylor would get a microphone and he would challenge the Blackpool Combat Club to a parking lot brawl on Rampage. And that match would be made official. John Moxley and Claudio Cascioli going against Trent and Chuck Taylor. Now, this triple threat anything goes match was great. And I must say, John Moxley did not bleed in this match. John Moxley usually bleeds in matches that he's in. I mean, he's bled in past matches that had nothing to do with any weapons, but this one, he didn't bleed. Um, instead, Trent Beretta did. And it's was an interesting sight to see Trent bleeding. Penta, I would have thought he would have bled, but he didn't bleed. Trent Beretta was the only guy bleeding here. So again, it was an interesting uh, change of pace to see Trent actually bleed because he's a guy that's known for being either in a singles match or a multi-man match or a tag team match, but for him to be in a triple threat match, anything goes. And he's the one out of all of the three guys in this match. He's the one that's bleeding. That says something. Um, The weapons that were used in this match was a trash can, the lid of the trash can, a 4x4 to have barbed wire, tables, a thumbtacks. Um, you had Tripretta suplexing, well... Uh, superplexing, um, John Moxley threw two tables outside of the ring. You had Pentagon hitting a Canadian destroyer off the turnbuckles on Tremperetta through a table, and you had John Moxley like uh, spearing Penta through a table in the corner. Again, solid match here, and it was great to see all three of these guys just basically work together. Now, after this, we have an MJF in-ring promo. MGF will come out here. He's emotional. He will remind everyone that he has ADD and that having this syndrome comes along multiple other syndromes. And he would mention one in particular, rejection deficit syndrome, RDS. And he talks about how this syndrome makes life harder for him because he remembers the day boys threw quarters at him and called him a Jew boy. And he said that taught him that he needed to be a scumbag and stab people in the back before they do that to him so he can live and thrive in this world. Now he realizes that this isn't the way you should live and that the people in the crowd and Adam Cole has made him realize that he needs to be a better man. He does let everybody know that he is still a scumbag. He's not going to be able to change overnight, but he wants to be 
the people's scumbag. Now, MGF would call Adam Cole to the ring and Adam would come out. Adam would give MGF props for sharing his story, spilling his guts, and trying to better himself. Adam would tell MGF that he too was a douchebag and a jerk in his past years and that he knew that he had to become a better man, that that being a douchebag, being a scumbag was not the way to being a better man and that he gives props for MGF for knowing that and trying to better himself, not just for himself, but for the people because the people love MGF. They know that MGF has a good heart deep down in him. So you get Adam giving props to MGF and once he's done, MGF would remind Adam Cole of the promise of giving Adam a shot at the world championship. MGF would tell Adam that he thought about it and he told Adam that he doesn't deserve a match. And now Adam's like confused and you'll see MGF walk over and grab a folder and he would start hyping up Adam saying, you don't deserve just any match. You deserve the match. The match that's going to happen at a historic place that's going to break all the records. He would just start hyping it up and he would say that it's going to be you, Adam Cole, versus me for the Triple B, the World Championship, at the main event of All In. So MGF would hand Adam Cole the contract until Adam signed it. Adam would sign it and now it's made official. The main event for All In is MGF versus Adam Cole for the AEW World Championship. Adam Cole and MGF would embrace. They would go to separate corners, pose in the corner for the crowd, and then we would go backstage, and Adam Cole's friend, Roderick Strong, he's just back there just losing his mind, and he's just tossing things because Roderick Strong still has a feeling that MGF is going to turn on Adam Cole. He's a scumbag, a snake, and he's been trying for weeks to tell Adam that he needs to watch out, not trust MGF if for Roderick to see Adam just hugging MGF and embracing him I think Roderick snapped at this moment and as Roddy is just throwing things backstage the kingdom Matt Taven and Mike Bennett would walk up to Roddy and they would say this is classic Adam always forgetting who his true friends were and they would walk away and here's backstory for people that were not following Adam Cole's career in Ring of Honor. Adam Cole, he was in a group before he joined Bullet Club. The group was called The Kingdom. The Kingdom consisted of himself, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, and Maria. Now, once AJ Styles left New Japan to go over to WWE, it seemed that there was a void that needed to be filled and Kenny Omega, he filled it over in the New Japan side, while Adam Cole, he filled it over here on the American side for Ring of Honor, and he just literally just like dropped the kingdom and went over to Bullet Club. So that's why you had Matt Taven and Mike Bennett walk up to Roddy and say that this is classic Adam. He always forgetting who his true friends are. So I could see Roderick Strong just like joining with the kingdom to like, go after Adam for always rejecting people and going off to the next best thing to enhance his career. I can see that being a 
thing for them. And then I can see this probably being a way for Kyle O'Reilly to come back into the fold. But again, this is future booking, or at least future fantasy booking. But I did like how they are adding the kingdom now onto AEW television. Now, after this, we get a trios matchup of the Elite going against Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Sonam Singh. The Elite would win the match by pinfall with Kenny Omega using the one-winged angel on Jay Lethal to win the match. Now, towards the end of the match, you had the Hardys coming to play, uh, Sanjay Dutt coming to play, Karen Jarrett, Brandon Cutler, and even Heyman Page. Eh, I mean, there's a lot of shenanigans at play, but I mean, when you got Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sotnam Singh with Sanjay Dutt in their corner, you're going to have shenanigans play a role in your match. So, I mean, to have Brandon Cutler spray Karen Jarrett in the face with the mist and Heyman Page to come out there to stop uh, Jeff Jarrett from hitting Kenny Omega with the guitar and he would hit Jeff Jarrett with the buckshot lariat. I mean, it was a nice fitting to see the elite just back together. It was nice. After the match, Kenny would hand Hangman a microphone to let everybody know the great news. And that news was that the elite have re-signed with AEW. So they're going to be here for many years to come. And Kenny would say, whether it's on Dynamite, Rampage, or even Collision, the Elite are here to stay. So we might get the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega on Collision and even Hangman. And I think that's great. People consider Collision to be CM Punk show. But now with the possibilities of the Elite going to Collision, I feel that we're going to be slowly itching closer to CM Punk, FTR, the Elite business even though people have said and reported quote unquote that that's not going to happen they don't ever see them doing business together i think with some time past people are going to see it and that's going to gather big bucks and big interest for uh aew when that time comes to pass now after this we have the ring of honor tag team championship match ozzy open defending their titles against commander and vikingo ozzy open will retain their championships by pinfall by executing Coriolis on Commander, which is a double wheel bearing uh, suplex to win the match. Commander and Vikingo had a great showing against Ozzy Open. You saw them do their high flying stuff. There was a point where both Vikingo and uh, Commander walked the top rope and they hit a moonsault at the exact same time on Ozzy Open outside of the ring. And they would even execute a double 450 splash, I believe, on Mark Davis inside of the ring and I like that because that brought back a callback for the exact same move that the Golden Lovers which consisted of Kenny Omega and Kanosuke Takeshita used to do in their time in Japan so I like them paying homage in a way to the Golden Lovers with that so yeah Ozzy Open retaining the title solid tag match as well now, before I move into the main event, I will be remiss if I didn't talk about Swerve Strickland and AR Fox putting a beating on Nick Wayne. You will see Fox and Swerve like go over to Nick Wayne's uh, training academy. He's there in the ring uh, with a couple of like training partners and Swerve and AR Fox just put a beating on Nick Wayne. They beat up some of the recruits, but they really put a beating on Wayne. They uh, busted up his face, made him, made him bleed. And they have him unlock his phone, call Darby. And again, it's just setting up more stuff for Swerve, Fox to go against Darby and Nick Wayne. 
in the future. Hopefully this happens at All In or even it can't happen at All Out because Darby has a match at All Out. So it might happen at All In, maybe. It gives Fox, Swerve, Darby, and Nick Wayne a big spot on All Out. So maybe that match will happen. We'll have to wait and see uh, as the time comes. But again, as I said last week, anytime Swerve and AR Fox are given time on television, I'm happy. I just need them to make Keith Lee to have time on television, then I'll be more happy because Keith Lee deserves that because Keith Lee is different from a lot of people on television. But more on that when Keith Lee is actually on television. Now over to the main event, the AEW World uh, Women's Championship. It'll be Tony Storm defending that title against Hikaru Shida. Tony will be out there with her Alex cast members, Ruby Soho and... Uh, Soraya. Now, during this match, there'll be multiple times where Ruby and Soraya would interfere, but that would not deter Sheeta from winning the match, and Sheeta will become your new AEW Women's Champion by uh, countering a pin attempt from Tony Storm into her own pin to win the match. So, Sheeta is your new AEW Women's Champion. This is a good way to close out the 200th episode of AEW Dynamite with Sheeta winning the title because as earlier, Sheeta, she came out entrance, they played highlight package, well, highlight clips of Sheeta's time on Dynamite, and they will talk about during the match how Sheeta, she was the champion during uh, the COVID era where there was no fans, but on the first pay-per-view back where they had fans, she lost the title, so now Sheeta is going to get a proper run as the AEW Women's Champion, and hopefully she has a great run. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, I want to also say I'm glad that Tony Storm did drop the belt because Tony could have said nah, or Tony could have uh threw a fit, and I think people would have said, you know what, it makes sense for her to throw a fit because she just technically won that belt herself at double or nothing, and they really haven't done nothing with Tony. I can see people saying that, but Tony, she. She didn't. Tony, she did the job. She did what was right. She gave Sheeta her time in the sun because Sheeta is an AEW Women's Original. And for her to now win the belt on the 200th episode, it was a good look. And it gave a clear message that AEW still cares for their originals. And they still have love for their originals as well as uh, newcomers that are going to be joining AEW into the future. But if you're an original of AEW, you should have no worry because... Tony Khan remembers you, and he will try his best to look out for you. At least that's what I took from that ending with Sheeta uh, winning the AEW Women's Championship. So now, both Tony and Sheeta are the only two-time AEW Women's Champions. And that, as I said before, was a good way to end AEW Dynamite's 200 episode. So with that, that's AEW Dynamite's Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to Impact Wrestling. And Impact would start off with the Impact Knockouts champion, Trinity. Trinity would come down to the ring, and she would talk to the Chicago crowd about how before she came to Impact, she was at her lowest of lows, and how she felt like giving up on her wrestling career, and how coming to Impact changed her career, changed her mind, and rejuvenated her to the point of becoming the Impact Knockouts champion. Now, once Trinity was done saying this, Deanna Peraza will come to the ring and tell Trinity that from the bottom of her heart, she would congratulate Trinity. Deanna will let Trinity know that she knows how she felt about coming to Impact and how it changed her career. But unlike Trinity, she didn't quit. 
And again, she's still referring to when Trinity walked out of WWE. I really want people to quit mentioning that. We already understood. Okay, cool. She walked out. We're here now. Cool. And in this case, with this story between Deanna Perrazzo and Trinity, it makes sense for Deanna to mention that because Deanna, she got fired over the pandemic and she came over to Impact while Trinity, she walked away from WWE because of only things Trinity and Mercedes Monet will know about. I don't think none of the ladies have ever spoke totally about what actually happened, but whatever happened, they'll speak about it on their own time. But again, let this be the last time it's ever mentioned that Trinity quit. I just find it lazy. But again, Deanna can get away with it because Deanna, she came to Impact. It changed her career. People actually view her as one of the best women's wrestlers uh, in the world because of her time in Impact. So again, Deanna mentioning it, cool, but I hope that's the last time. Now, after she mentions that, Deanna would say that she looks to regain her knockout championship because no one beats Deanna twice. Trinity would say she will. Then we would get the Coven to come out, and the Coven would complain about Deanna and Trinity uh, taking up airtime. This would continue on to the Coven getting in the ring, and we got all four ladies just going at it. Santino Morello will come out, saying that he will make the match for later in tonight. The Coven going against Deanna and Trinity because Deanna is not in ring gear. And Deanna will say, I don't need ring gear. We can do this right now. So that match will happen right now. And the Coven would win the match by pinfall when Kylan King would hit the King's Curse, which is a pup handle uh, forward slam on Deanna Perrazzo for the win after Trinity would inadvertently hit Deanna in the head with a head kick because Trinity was looking to hit Taylor Wilde with it. Taylor would duck, and she nailed Deanna with it. Now, after the match, you saw Trinity like tell Deanna she didn't mean to do it. It was an accident, and that's it. You don't really get no resolve. You'll probably get resolved next week on Impact. We'll have to wait and see and find out on next week's episode with that. But you can kind of tell there's going to be more friction because this is going to lead into their uh, rematch at Emergence. Now, next matchup was Allen Angels going against Heath. Heath would win the match by pinfall using the wake-up call after Angels would miss uh, the Halo Strike, which is a roundhouse kick. Um, Solid match from Heath and Allen Angels. Again, this is a match to eat up time and to kill this little quick little feud that Allen Angels and Heath have with each other. Next matchup, a complete squash. Jake something going against uh, Davey Vega. Jake something would win the match, executing into the void, aka the black hole slam on Davey Vega. This was a complete squash. Jake something just completely demolished Davey Vega, showing off his strength and power, and even his agile ability of being fast. I mean, Jake something has the look. He has the build. He's basically Wardlow for Impact Wrestling. And as I said before about Jake something, when he was in Impact before he left, and even when he did leave, Jake something, I'm surprised that I get snatched up by WWE or AEW. He's a perfect guy to be placed on your television screens. I think the name Jake something is not the best name, but his abilities in the ring is just great, and his look is great as well. So hopefully Impact does something with him this time on their second run with Jake something. And also, I hope that WWE and AEW are actually looking 
highly at Jake something because when his contract is up or if he does have a contract with Impact, basically when Jake something time is up, hopefully he actually gets signed to one of the bigger companies and he flourishes the way that he deserves to flourish. Because again, the look, the build, and the athleticism that Jake something has, it's uh, it's something remarkable. Now, next matchup, triple threat match for the Digital Media Championship. Yuya Yuromura going against the former champion Joe Hendry, going against current champion Kenny King with Sheldon Dream in King's Corner. Kenny would retain his championship by pinfall, executing the Royal Flush on Yuya Yuromura for the win. I can see there's going to be some problems between uh, Yuromura and Joe Hendry because Joe Hendry did make note before the match would start, as he usually does before all of his matches. Uh, Joe Hendry would say that this is his contracted uh, rematch obligation and his friend Yuya has now inserted himself into this match. So I can see Yuya being the one that took the pin from Kenny. This is going to cause some problems between uh, Yuya Yuromura and Joe Hendry and more likely having Joe Hendry probably backstab Yuromura some time down the line. Um, but that's just something to think about. But Kenny King retaining the Digital Media Championship, cool. Uh, solid triple threat match. I did like that they have the little tell of the tapes at the beginning, and they did make a note that Kenny King, when he was X Division champion some years ago, he retained his X Division championship in, I believe, either three or four triple threat matches. So basically, say Kenny King had the advantage in this triple threat match, and it proved during the match because he was able to sneak out and allow uh, Yuya Yuromura and Joe Henry to go at one another, and Kenny would just pop in whenever the time was right. So again, it proved King's ability to be that veteran, be that guy that has all this prior knowledge of being in triple threat matches coming into play and allowed him to retain his digital media championship here. Now we go off to the main event, tag team matchup. The Rascals going against Speedball Mike Bailey and Jonathan Gresham. And this is one of the matches that's a part of the impact uh, tag team tournament where the winners will be facing off against subculture for the impact uh, tag team championships. The Rascals would win the match by pinfall thanks to shenanigans. When Jonathan Gresham grabbed Trey's leg, Zachary would try to enter the ring and the ref would stop him. Trey Miguel would push Jonathan into Zachary's midsection and Zachary would toss a spray can to Trey Miguel. The referee wouldn't see it. Speedball would hit Zachary with a moonsault to the outside of the ring. Uh, Jonathan would grab Trey's leg and look to lock in a figure four leg lock, but Trey would spray Jonathan in the face with the spray can, then pin Jonathan and grab his tights for a leverage. So now the Rascals advance in the tag team tournament. Next week, uh, Ace Austin and Chris Bay will be going against Rich Swan and Sammy Callahan. Now, Earlier in the show, the Rascals was reprimanded by Scott Demore because Scott Demore saw what the Rascals did weeks ago by interfering in Ace Austin and Chris Bay's tag team match. And he told the Rascals that one, they are uh, not being paid for two weeks. And two, that if they interfere in any other tag team matches in this tag team tournaments, they will be suspended indefinitely and they won't get paid at all for that time of suspension. So the Rascals are going to have to sit out of everybody else's matches and actually allow the action to play out the rest of this time in the tournament that has matches that don't uh, mean nothing to them. So I like that. So we're going to get nothing but clean finishes from all these matches. 
And more likely, we're going to get the Rascals going against Chris Bay and Ace Austin, probably somewhere in the finals uh, to see who's going to face against subculture. I did like after the match was done, you saw uh, Jonathan Gresham just being upset outside of the ring. And he just like kind of you can see him mouthing off to Mike Bailey because Jonathan Gresham has a problem. He has been saying that Impact Wrestling uh, management, the referees, they don't really enforce the rules because Jonathan Gresham is one of those guys that like to have rules. If there's rules, we need to follow them. That's the deal. And Impact be loosey-goosey sometimes. The referee doesn't see it. We have playback, and they don't like reverse the uh, actions after they see somebody does a dirty maneuver or anything. And Jonathan Gresham just feels upset because Impact is just not enforcing those rules. So I can see Jonathan Gresham probably turning and probably being a rule breaker himself, but always be the guy that kind of says that we need to enforce the rules by also breaking the rules at the exact same time. And the perfect feud for him is Mike Bailey, this guy who's always a half glass type fool type of guy, positivity. So I can see those two going at it. And also speedball Mike Bailey going against Jonathan Gresham always is a good matchup. Always. So I'm down for that. Now, before Impact would end, we would get footage of what really happened between uh, Diener and Eric Young last year. And for the people that do not remember or did not watch Impact last year, um, last year, Impact was basically ran by Violence by Design. Eric Young, uh, Diener, and God, Joe Doring. Joe Doring, he had to step away from wrestling because uh, he's battling cancer, so he had to step away. Eric Young, it was reported online that he was going to sign back with WWE and that his contract with Impact was up. So they came up with the idea for Diener to take over the design and kill off Eric Young. So they had this play out. Eric Young died from Diener attacking him with a shank. And now we get actual footage of actually what happened. And we see Diener get done attacking Eric Young. He sits at the table, put the shank down. He's bloody. And we see Eric Young on the floor blood cool we get more uh shots of eric young still be on the ground his eyes start to flinch a little bit and then you just start seeing just suddenly eric young just like spit uh red liquid out of his mouth that's supposed to emulate blood and meaning that diener did not get the job done eric young would uh crawl out of the arena or place that he's in get on his motorcycle drive off but there you have it. Eric Young did not die. Diener did not get the job done. So now we're going to continue with that uh, Diener versus Eric Young storyline in Impact. Uh, I'm going to say, okay, cool. Impact can get away with it because, as I said before in previous episodes, when I talk about Impact, it's a wacky, sometimes serious, sometimes not storylines there you can get away with certain things that wwe or aew can't uh get away with because impact doesn't have the viewership like a wwe or aew or the mainstream media attention like them so aew and wwe can't pull off this type of uh story but impact can because i mean only a small niche of the wrestling fans actually do watch this product 
unless something major happens like a Trinity or uh, Good Brothers or whoever joins Impact and you'll get some boost in viewerships, but then it'll go right back to the regular casual people watching Impact again. So, as I said, Impact didn't get away with this. This storyline of Eric Young not technically dying from Dino's attack. I'm not so, like, satisfied with it, but I'm like, all right, cool. I know what we're doing. Let's just get to it. So, Dino versus Eric Young. I want to see if they bring Rhino in to be uh, Eric Young's partner as Eric Young deals with Dino and Khan, or we're going to get the returning Joe Doring with Eric Young going against uh, Dino and Khan. One of those two situations I'll be happy with, but... We'll have to wait and see as the times come with Impact Wrestling. Now with that, that's your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And we now move over to SmackDown. LA Knight will come down to the ring and LA will be in his ring gear. He's getting himself prepared for his match with Sheamus. But before Sheamus would come out, LA Knight would have a microphone. He would talk up his chances of winning the SummerSlam uh, Battle Royale. And he would make fun of certain uh, participants in it. He would talk about Grayson Waller. He would talk about The Miz. And he would talk about Sheamus. Now, with him talking about Sheamus, we get to our match. Sheamus versus LA Knight. LA would win the match by pinfall, hitting Sheamus with a BFT. Now, during the match, you would see participants from the uh, Battle Royal coming to surround the ring. You had Grayson Waller. You had Karrion Cross, You had um, AJ Styles. Who else? Santos Escobar will come out and just like surround the ring to just almost be a lumberjack stylistic of things, but nobody touched one another. Um, There was a slip up when LA Knight would jump onto the top turnbuckle when Sheamus was there. They would both like slide off the top turnbuckle, crash to the outside of the ring. And to cover for this uh, situation to happen, you would see like the participants outside of the ring, the good guys, like have a stare down with the bad guys. Uh, they will start duking it out outside of the ring. Austin Theory, he would attack Santos from behind because Santos will be facing off against Austin Theory for the United States Championship next week. So we're pumping and building that up. This wouldn't be the last time Santos and Theory would have something. Um, but yeah, that's what happened here. LA Knight gets to win. He gets some momentum going into SummerSlam to hopefully win the Battle Royale presented by Slim Jim. Now next up, tag team match. The Brawling Brutes. Going against the clubs, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows with Mia Yim, Meechin in their corner. The match would end in a no contest thanks to the Street Profits, who are both dressed in suits. And Montez Ford, he actually got his lineup, hair lineup, and even got a little like part in it. And you would see the Street Profits just beat up on both teams. And I was happy. The fans were happy. This is the type of move that we wanted to see from the Street Profits. Um, after they were done beating up both teams, the Prophets would leave out of the ring, go up on the stage, stand there, and Bobby Lashley would come out, and he's standing in between the Prophets, and Bobby's smiling, the crowd is chanting, Bobby, Bobby, so we know what we're getting, the Bobby Lashley, Street Prophets connection, they're together now, and again, good look, this seems like this is going to be a Hurt Business 2.0, hopefully not use the name Hurt Business, but we all know what we're going for here. This is what we wanted to see during the pandemic time when we had the uh, Hurt Business around and when the pandemic was over and the crowd was back. We wanted to see the Hurt Business actually have a full run. We didn't get that. Hopefully now with Bobby Lashley having their business uh, with the Street Profits, 
Hopefully we get that. And also remember, MVP and Omos, they are free agents. They are just flo floating around. We haven't seen Omos around because Omos got married, I believe, a month ago. MVP, again, manager to Omos. So whenever we get those two back, I probably might see MVP back with Omos. And Omos probably going towards Bobby and the Street Profits to create this one big super group. And if we get that, again, this would be great. So now after this would be done, we would get Paul Heyman. He would come down to the ring for his in-ring promo. And Paul would talk about how Roman Reigns didn't want any of this to happen. Paul will place all of this uh, discomfort, all the turmoil that's happening inside the bloodline. He will place all that blame on Jay Uso. Paul will say that at SummerSlam, the actions that will happen that night will be because of Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns will brutalize, beat up, victimize uh, Jay Uso. And then this will lead to Paul Heyman showing a video package of what it means to be the tribal chief and what tribal combat and what the necklace that Roman Reigns wears represents now in this video package you will get alpha sika rikishi uh talk about the meaning of the necklace how the necklace that roman reigns wears is the head of the table the man that runs the family the guy that leads the family he's in charge that's the type of power that that necklace holds and whenever someone wants to challenge for it the necklace is always up for grabs and they have to do it in tribal combat and during the video package, I found it funny because you got like AI like photos and like caricatures of what Alpha and Sika look like buffed up. You got one of the rock, and I will even say you got one of like either Umaga or Yokozuna, one of the two. But those AI photos, when you see it, if you just go to WWE's YouTube page, if they still have it up, you'll see the video package of what I mean, and it's just you could see that, okay, this was AI, and I was surprised that WWE went AI with this, but for them to showcase how important uh, the tribal combat and the necklace means, I see why they did it, but I was just shocked for them to do it. Anyway, getting off the nerd stuff there. Um, after the video would play, Roman would continue to hype up Roman Reigns as being the guy for the last three years and would continue to be the guy after SummerSlam. Paul Heyman would then be interrupted by Jay Uso. Jay would tell Paul that at SummerSlam, he plans on beating Romans with the weapons that's around the ring, whether it be kendo sticks, steel chairs, slamming him through a table, etc. Jay will say that he is going to be the next WWE Undisputed Universal Champion, which if we shorten it, basically the WWE Champion, and that he plans on being the next Tribal Chief. This will lead to Solo Sokoa coming down to the ring. Jay would try to talk some sense into Solo, telling Solo that he is his brother and he can forgive Solo, but he needs to snap out of it. Paul is telling Solo the same stuff that he used to tell Jay years ago. That's the things that Jay would tell Solo and that Paul's just manipulating you. Paul would tell Solo that Solo isn't going to believe Jay. There's no way. Then Solo would give Paul a look. And Paul would try to pull Solo off to the side to talk to him, but Solo would tell Paul to leave the ring. Paul Heyman wouldn't leave the ring, and he would again try to talk to Solo. Solo would yell, leave the ring. And this distraction allowed Jey Uso to superkick Solo and knock Solo out of the ring. And this would build up into our main event later between Jey Uso going against Solo Sokoa. Now, next match up, Austin Theory going against Cameron Grimes. Theory would win the match by pinfall, hitting A-Town down. 
after knocking Grimes off the top turnbuckle. Cameron Grimes had this match completely. He was beating up on Theory a lot during this match. And for Theory to win, I thought it was shocking because the way that Grimes was beating up on Theory, you would at least thought, okay, they're going to give Cameron Grimes a shocking win over uh, Austin Theory, the United States champion, probably put Cameron Grimes in line for a shot at the U.S. title. But nope, that's not the way they wanted to go there. They wanted to give the champion the win. So that's what we got. However, after the match, Santos Escobar would hit Austin Theory with the Phantom Driver as a receipt for earlier in the night with Theory hitting Santos at the beginning of the night. Now, after this, we have the Grayson Waller effect with Bailey and Io Sky as the special guests. And Grayson would ask Io, what's her game plan for cashing in her money in the bank? Bailey would do the talking for Io, and Io's face read that she had a problem with Bailey talking for her, but she just allowed Bailey to talk. Bailey would say they aren't going to discuss their game plan. And you would then start hearing Shotzi's like laughs air out through the arena. And Bailey would start freaking out and start trying to leave the ring. Backstory for people that have not paid attention to SmackDown. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Bailey she cut some of Shotzi's hair after Shotzi lost a match to Bailey. Or was it Io? Wanted it to. And this led to Shotzi cutting her own hair. And now Bailey's basically afraid of Shotzi. So we get uh, Shotzi's laughs airing out through the arena. Bailey freaks out. Bailey tries to leave the ring. Grayson would laugh and say that that was a prank that he played on Bailey. Bailey would get back in the ring and start trash talking Shotzi. Then Shotzi's music would play and Shotzi's tank would ride out on the stage. Bailey would laugh and tell Grayson he isn't going to fool her again. Grayson looking at Bailey this time and he says, I'm I didn't set this up. I didn't plan this. Now Bailey would have EO leave the ring to inspect the tank, and unbeknownst to Bailey, Shotzi is standing behind her. Props to Grayson Waller, he would try to tell Bailey, Ayo, turn around, turn around, and Bailey wouldn't do so until she realized Shotzi's behind her. And once she did, Bailey would try to throw a punch to Shotzi, but Shotzi would counter it, hit Bailey, and then pull out clippers out of her own bag. Bailey would leave the ring, go into the crowd, and Shotzi would give chase after Bailey. Now, the person driving the tank was Selena Vega. She would pop up from inside of the tank because Selena has a match with EO Sky next. So that's their way to kind of tie the two angles or segments together. So we get Selena Vega going against EO Sky. Selena would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction of some sorts from Shotzi and Bailey. Uh, EO will look to hit her patented moonsault onto Selena, but she will be distracted by Shotzi and Bailey battling it out on the stage, and this allows Selena to hit uh, EO with a powerbomb off the turnbuckle and then hit a code red for the win. So Selena has a win over the Women's Money in the Bank uh, briefcase holder, so this will add some momentum in Selena Vega stock in the SmackDown Women's division. And it's a good look. Eosky doesn't always have to win because there's that thing that you would think that the Money in the Bank winners have to win every match that they're in, but they don't have to. And I think giving Selena the win here, it doesn't hurt Eo in the slightest, so I'm glad they did that. Now we move off to our main event, Jay Uso going against Solo Sokoa with Paul Heyman in Solo's corner. Jay would win the match by pinfall using a spear, then the Uso splash for the win. 
After the match, Solo would attack Jay from behind, then take the action outside of the ring. Solo would go for a chair, but Jay would super kick Solo, then take the chair from Solo and start using it on Solo, hitting him in the gut and then in the back. Jay would then take the edge, or some people might say the head of the chair, and then hit Solo in his head, knocking him over the ring announcer's area. Jay would end SmackDown by standing on the commentator's table and look at the crowd and just feel the adulation that the crowd is giving him because this gives Jay momentum into the Tribal Combat match with Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. So that's how SmackDown will end. SmackDown was straight. It was solid. Also, on SmackDown, I will be remiss if I didn't add this. You will get like video packages from Asuka, Charlotte, and Bianca Belair to hype up their triple threat match for the women's uh, championship at SummerSlam. So we got that as well. But I just wanted to point that out as well because I do like all three of these women. And also Charlotte, she is coming into her own in being like, yeah, I'm Charlotte Flair. I'm a 14-time women's world champion. I'm kind of the best. I'm the I'm a big deal. And I should be like in a lavish style place. I should be living lavish. So basically like the female-esque version of a Ric Flair of 2023, but without all the wooing so much. So I like that Charlotte Flair is taking that position now. I do like that. Um, But yeah, that was SmackDown's uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to AEW Rampage. We will start off with a trios match. The Hardys and Keith Lee going against the Butcher, Blade, and Kip Sabian. Keith Lee and the Hardys would win the match by pinfall with Keith Lee hitting a one-hand spine buster on Kip and then Jeff Hardy hitting a swanton bomb for the win. Now, Keith Lee getting a moment here on Rampage is cool and all, but I still need that Swerve versus uh, Keith Lee match. Now, Keith... Joining in to help Darby and Nick Wayne to go against the Mogul Affiliates. That'll be great because we still have that beef of Swerve and Keith. They have not concluded that. I don't know why they just dropped that story. But it seems that that's the way they're going with. But hopefully, as I said before, early in the show, I like that we got Swerve and AR Fox being prominent more on AEW Dynamite, AEW Television. Hopefully, we get Keith Lee with that. So, I hope we get Keith Lee joining in with Darby to take on AR and uh, Swerve, but we'll have to wait and see uh, if that does happen. Now, next matchup was Anna J with 2.0 in her corner going against Sky Blue. Anna J won the match by submission by locking in the Queen Slayer and making Sky tap out. Next matchup, Swerve, AR Fox with Prince Nana in their corner going against two like local guys. Uh, Swerve and AR Fox won the match by pinfall with Fox hitting a cutter, Swerve hitting a brain buster, then Fox finishing off with a 450 splash to win the match. Now, next up in our main event, we will have the parking lot brawl between Blackpool Combat Clubs, Claudio Cascioli and John Moxley going against the best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta. Claudio and Moxley would win the match with Claudio holding Trent Beretta's head on the windshield and Mox would hit a curb stomp on Trent's head, and Claudio would cover Trent for the win. Now, I'm not going to be able to give you all the highlights of exactly what happened in this back lot brawl, but what I will say is this. You had everything and more the same way that we had the first one with the best friends going against Santana and Ortiz during the pandemic. 
This one was, I feel, more bloodier and more gruesome because you had John Moxley, who's not afraid to bleed. Trent Beretta, who's now gotten to that point that he's not afraid to bleed. Trent and John Moxley will bleed. Uh, Chuck Taylor, he will bleed because Willie Yuta, he would get involved and stab uh, Chuck in the head with a screwdriver. Orange Cassidy, he would get uh, involved when Trent Beretta's mom, Sue, would drive her minivan. Chuck Taylor, uh, not Chuck Taylor, got Orange Cassidy, um, would jump off the vehicle and jump onto the Blackpool Comic Club, but that wouldn't be enough for the best friends to beat up on the Blackpool Combat Club because the Combat Club is just on a different level when it comes down to, like, in a brawling, fighting sense, the Blackpool Combat Club is literally one of the best group in AEW to just be in a brawl with. They're just there to beat up and take no prisoners, and that's what we got here. I will say, Claudio, he is not going to bleed for nobody. He is not trying to bleed at all. He is not trying to be bloody at all. I mean, he'll get blood on his clothing or something. But him bleeding, that's just not going to happen. And Blood and Guts, you didn't see him bleed. Even though he fell into the thumbtacks, he didn't bleed there. In this backlock brawl, he was the only man out of the four original men in this match that did not bleed. But Claudio, just being the athletic man that he is, he's just... He's just a guy that has all the strength and power, and that's just basically what it was for Claudio. He was throwing uh, Chuck and Trent around when he could, and he was able to tore, like tear off a car door as well. Again, there was a lot of mayhem that happened in that uh, parking lot brawl. I would suggest if you want to watch one thing off of Rampage, go to the main event and watch that. But again, Blackpool Comic Club wins the parking lot brawl. Now, with AEW Rampage out of the way, I want to move over into the G1 Climax and give you guys the standings of where it is right now. For A Block, we still have Sonata with 12 points. And B Block, we have Okada with 10, with Will Ospreay with 8. In Block C, we have a, still a three-way tie of David Finley with 8, Evil with 8, Eddie Kingston with 8. D block, we have a three-way tie as well. Jeff Cobb with eight, Naito with eight, and Zack Sabre Jr. with eight. And this is where we get interesting. As I said before, uh, block A, block B, block C, block D, they have to have two winners in each block. Block A already has Sonata being a winner. And right now we have a three-way tie for second place. We have Shota Umino. We have the guy from Noah. I can't really say his name. I think it's Kaido Kiyomura or Kiyomiya in Hikaleo. I think they might go with Kiyomiya, if I'm going to be honest, to bring him to go against probably Okada in the like cross sections of blocks. Because in block B, we have Okada with 10. He's going to be taking one of the spots. I think he's going to be probably block one, block B winner. And then we have Will Osbury, who's like going to be the second winner because he has eight points. Um, block C, this is going to be interesting because David Finley has to go against Eddie Kingston. If David Finley wins, he gets the top spot for Block C. Uh, Evil, I think he's probably going to get that second spot. Um, block D, again, three-way tie. Jeff Cobb, Naito, and Zack Sabre Jr., and if I look at block D right now, Naito, he has to go against Tanahashi. 
Jeff Cobb, he has to go against Shane Haste. And Zack Sabre Jr., he has to go against Goto. So if any one of those two guys, well, any one of those three guys loses, you can see both of the other three, well, two of the other three guys taking up block D1 and 2 to get into the quarterfinals. But right now, that's the fi- that's where we stand with our G1 Climax standings. Again, if you want to know more, you go to your Wikipedia and just type in G1 Climax 33, and you'll get all the standings and when the matches are supposed to be coming up. But I want to keep you guys informed of what's going on with the G1 Climax. Now, moving over into the SummerSlam predictions. Um, I want to start off with Cody Rhodes going against Brock Lesnar. I have Cody winning this because Cody is going to be around in WWE more. He's going to be on TV week by week. So Cody getting the win on Brock Lesnar, that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, next match, Seth Rollins going against Finn Balor for the World Heavyweight Championship. With the Judgment Day storyline that we have now, of Damian Priest, maybe he'll cash in, maybe he won't. I think it'll be interesting for Finn Balor to win, and then we still get this maybe Damian Priest is going to cash in on Finn, maybe he won't kind of situation uh, occurring. But if Seth Rollins win, we're going to have Damian Priest probably poke at Finn and say, I'm going to cash in the uh, my money in Bay briefcase. I'll bring the championship home to the Judgment Day, do something that you couldn't do, and again, cause some more dissension within the Judgment Day. Either way, with Seth or Finn winning, we're still going to have some uh, situations still going down in the Judgment Day. But for me, I think the interesting thing was to see Finn Balor win the Warrior Championship and have Finn look over his shoulder looking at Damian Priest all this time and also look over his shoulder for Seth Rollins because Seth's going to be wanting his Warrior Championship back. So I'm going with Finn here. Uh, triple Threat, Asuka, Charlotte, Bianca for the Women's Championship. I'm going to go with Asuka because she just got it. And I don't think they're going to take the title off of her yet. Because if they do, I think people are going to be upset about it. And so I say Asuka is going to retain her uh, Women's Championship here. Um, Ricochet going against Logan Paul. You know what? I'm going with Ricochet because just like Cody, Ricochet is on the show every single week. Logan Paul, he'll get this win. And what will it do? Nothing for him. He's just going to disappear and... He'll pop up whenever WWE has for him to do something else. He's not on the active roster every single week. So it doesn't help him at all if he wins. If he loses, okay, Jake Paul lost. whoop de doo he's, uh, he's an annoying athletic guy. That's kind of his whole deal. I'm an annoying guy. I'll pop in when I want to because that's what I do. So Ricochet winning against Logan Paul, I think that would be great. If they have it the other way around, that's not good, at least in my eyes. Gunther versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. I have Gunther winning, and only because Gunther is coming up on beating Honky Tonk Man's uh, Intercontinental Championship reign, and Gunther will be the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, and it seems like WWE wants to be breaking these long-standing championship reigns that were basically crowned off in the late 80s early 90s, the first time they did it was, I believe, the New Day when they beat Demolitions. Now we got uh, Roman Reigns, who's hold on to the freaking World Championship for over a thousand days. That hasn't happened in so many decades. And now we got Gunther, who's going to be the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, and that hasn't happened in so long because of the Honky Tonk Man. So, again, I think Gunther's going to win it, but I think Gunther and Drew McIntyre are going to have one hell of a match at SummerSlam, and that might even be Match of the night, to be honest. Ronda Rousey versus Shayna Baszler in an MMA rules match. 
and it only stops by referee stoppage, submission, or KO. I think Shayna Baylor is going to win this. Ronda, same thing as I said with Brock and Logan. She'll pop in whenever she wants to pop in. And Shayna, she's on the road every week. Shayna needs this win because if she loses, what does it accomplish for her? Ronda, she could pop in whenever she wants and just, again, be another mainstream attraction, just like a Logan Paul and a Brock Lesnar. So her losing this, it doesn't eat at her the way that it was for, would be for uh, Shayna Baszler. So Shayna wins the MMA rules match. Uh, the Battle Royal at SummerSlam, LA Knight, he's the most over guy in there. And I think if you have LA Knight loses, people are still going to wonder why on God's Green are you guys not pulling the trigger on LA Knight. So I'm going with LA. Now, the main event, Tribal Combat for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship between Roman Reigns and Jay Uso. I want to see Jay win. I do. But last time we got our hopes so big up was Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania, and we all saw how that went. The story has been built around the bloodline literally for the last three years, and the first victim literally was Jay Uso. And for Jay to be the guy to take the title from Roman after he was the guy that actually pinned Roman and he was the first guy to do it in the past, what, almost four years? Come on, dog. It will be poetic. It will show to everybody that Jay is not just a tag team wrestler. He can be a singles competitor, even the world champion. But I don't think the company sees Jay as a world champion. But the fans, I think we will be willing for that to happen. But again, I'm looking at company eyes here. I'm going with Roman. He's still main box office. He's still going to hold the titles. And we're just going to have to wait and see who Roman has next on his line. Now, how Roman's going to win, I have no idea. They have a lot of ways they can go about it. They can have Solo pop in. We can have uh, some other people pop in. I have no idea. But... Roman Reigns, at the end of the day, is still going to be your uh, WWE Universal Undisputed Champion. That's my vote for that. So Roman Reigns still retaining the championship. Now, having covered everything before I get out of here, I would like to say I did see WWE's uh, Cody Rose documentary on Peacock. I would say go and watch it. It is a uh, great story. If you do not know Cody Rose's story, Cody is the son of Dusty Rhodes, I think, which everybody can kind of pick up on that. It talks about his story from him going from a kid doing uh, amateur wrestling to then going out to Hollywood, not really making it there, coming back to Atlanta, Georgia, telling his pops he wants to be a wrestler, then start showing you off his wrestling career from him literally joining from OVW, then going to the main roster, then having his time to the main roster to eventually him leaving and then him discovering himself, like really discovering himself on the independence, then to him creating AEW and then popping back to WWE. I think you guys will thoroughly enjoy it. The only thing that I would say I criticize the documentary is not explaining Cody Rhodes joining Bullet Club and how that really popped Cody into being Cody on the independence. Because if you didn't live through that time, let me tell you something. Bullet Club in 2014... 2015, 2016, I say 2016 was like their hot bubbling spot, but 2014 you could because that's when Finn Balor joined the WWE, but 
I say 2016 was their bubbling spot because that's when you got Kenny Omega being the leader, AJ Styles leaving, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows leaving, and then you got the elite really start being the elite. And then you just start seeing uh, everything just be the way it is for years to come. I think that they should have put an emphasis on Cody joining the Bullet Club. What Bullet Club meant. You could have had AJ Styles and Finn Balor talk about the importance of Bullet Club, of how you join Bullet Club, it brings your notoriety to another standard and another level and with Cody joining Bullet Club it brought Cody to another eyes for people because Bullet Club was the top notch of independent talent at least for New Japan and Ring of Honor and Cody doing his thing everywhere in independence and him joining Bullet Club it brought Cody to another uh, level even though he had mainstream eyes but it gave him the credibility of independent eyes because you now put him in Bullet Club and you see what he's doing you knew he was going to bring Bullet Club to another level with him. And again, I think they should have just honed in a little bit on what Bullet Club meant for Cody. I feel that way. But other than that, the Cody Rose documentary, it was a good documentary. Go and watch it. I think you will enjoy yourself. But now, having said all that, this was a lengthy episode. I hope you guys did enjoy it. I'm going to watch SummerSlam tonight. And tomorrow, you guys will be getting a review of it. And as usual, you'll be getting a uh, Sunday episode as usual as well. Sunday news episode. So you'll be getting a two-episode uh, on Sunday. I hope you guys have a great day. Enjoy yourself. Please stay hydrated if you live in those areas where it's hot. I love you guys. I'll see you guys later. Have a good day.